A squat, grey building of only 34 storeys. Over the main entrance, the words Central London Hatchery and Conditioning Centre and in a shield, the world state's motto Community, Identity, Stability. The enormous room on the ground floor faced north a harsh, thin light glaring through the windows found the glass, nickel and bleakly shining porcelain of a laboratory. And this, said the director, opening the door, is the fertilising room. Bent over their instruments, three hundred fertilisers were plunged in the silence of absorbed concentration. A troop of newly arrived students, young, pink and callow, followed at the director's heels. Each of them carried a notebook in which, whenever the great man spoke, he desperately scribbled. Tall and thin, but upright, the director advanced into the room. Old, young, thirty, fifty, it was hard to say. And anyhow, in this year of stability, AF 632, it didn't occur to you to ask. The DHC waved a hand. The incubators. Opening an insulated door, he showed them racks upon racks of numbered test tubes. The week's supply of ova, kept at blood heat, whereas the male gametes, he opened another door, have to be kept at 35. Full blood heat sterilises. Leaning against the incubators, he gave them a brief description of the modern fertilising process, starting with how the excised ovary was preserved alive and actively developing. Then, leading his charges to the work tables, he showed them how eggs were inspected for abnormalities, counted and transferred to a porous receptacle. He now took them to watch this receptacle being immersed in a warm bouillon containing free-swimming spermatozoa at a minimum concentration of 100,000 per cubic centimetre. He demonstrated how the fertilised ova went back to the incubators where the alphas and betas remained, while the gammas, deltas and epsilons were brought out again, after only 36 hours, to undergo Bokonovsky's process. Bokonovsky's process. The students underlined the words in their little notebooks. Normality. One egg, one embryo, one adult. But... A Bokhanovskified egg will bud, proliferate, divide. Up to 96 buds, 96 human beings where only one grew before. Identical twins, but not in piddling twos and threes, as in the old viviparous days. Dozens, scores at a time. The director flung out his arms. One student was fool enough to ask where the advantage lay. Bokhanovsky's process is one of the major instruments of social stability, standard men and women, the whole of a small factory staffed with the products of a single egg. Ninety-six identical twins working ninety-six identical machines for the first time in history. Community, identity, stability. The director beckoned to a fair-haired young man who happened to be passing. Uh, Mr. Foster, come along with us and give these boys the benefit of your expert knowledge. Mr. Foster smiled modestly. With pleasure. In the bottling room, the eggs, one by one, were transferred from their test tubes. Deftly, the peritoneal lining was slit. The marula dropped into place, the saline solution poured in. 
and already the bottle had passed to the labellers. Heredity, date of fertilisation, membership of Bokonovsky's group. Details were inscribed. Named identified the procession marched slowly on into the social predestination room. 88 cubic metres of card index, said Mr Foster as they entered. So many individuals of such and such quality, now down to the embryo store. He opened a door and led the way down a staircase into the basement. The temperature was tropical, and the students found themselves in a darkness like closed eyes on a summer's afternoon. Row on receding row and tier above tier of bottles glinted with innumerable rubies. The spidery steelwork of gallery above gallery faded away in all directions. Every bottle was placed on one of fifteen racks, each a conveyor travelling at thirty-three and a third centimetres an hour. One circuit of the cellar at ground level, one on the first gallery, half on the second, and on the 267th morning, daylight in the decanting room. Independent existence, so-called. But in the interval, said Mr Foster, we've managed to do a very great deal to them. That's the spirit, said the director. You tell them, Mr Foster. Mr Foster told them. Told them of the test for sex carried out in the neighbourhood of Metre 200, explained the system of labelling, a T for the males, a circle for the females, and for those destined to become free martins, a question mark, black on a white ground. For, of course, said Mr Foster, in the vast majority of cases, fertility is merely a nuisance. Seventy percent of the female embryos get a dose of male sex hormone every 24 metres. Result... They're decanted as free martins, structurally normal, but guaranteed sterile. He rubbed his hands. Which brings us from mere slavish imitation of nature into the much more interesting world of human invention. Because by regulating the supply of oxygen, we also predestine and condition. We decant our babies as socialised human beings, as alphas or epsilons, as future sewage workers or future... He was going to say future world controllers, but correcting himself said, future directors of hatcheries, instead. The DHC acknowledged the compliment with a smile. Their wanderings through the crimson twilight had brought them to metre 170 on rack 9. From this point onwards, rack 9 was enclosed. Heat conditioning, said Mr Foster. By the time they were decanted, these embryos had a horror of cold. They were predestined to work in the tropics or to be steel workers. Later their minds would be made to endorse the judgment of their bodies. We condition them to thrive on heat. Our colleagues upstairs will teach them to love it. And that, put in the director, is the secret of happiness. Liking what you've got to do. All conditioning aims at that, making people like their inescapable social destiny. And now, continued Mr Foster, I'd like to show you some very interesting conditioning for alpha-plus intellectuals. We have a big batch of them on rack five. But the director had looked at his watch. Ten to three. No time for the intellectual embryos, I'm afraid. We must go out to the nurseries before the children have finished their afternoon sleep. The notice board announced Infant Nurseries, Neo-Pavlovian Conditioning Rooms. The director opened a door. 
They were in a large, bare room, very bright and sunny. Half a dozen nurses were engaged in setting out bowls of roses in a long row across the floor. The nurses stiffened to attention as the DHC came in. Set out the books. In silence, the nurses obeyed his command. Between the rose bowls, books were duly set out. A row of nursery quartos opened invitingly at some gaily coloured image of beast or fish or bird. Now bring in the children. They hurried out and returned in a minute or two, each pushing a tall container laden on its four wire-netted shelves with eight-month-old babies, all exactly alike. A Bokanovsky group, it was evident, and all, since their cast was Delta, dressed in khaki. Put them on the floor. The infants were unloaded. Now, turn them so that they can see the flowers and books. Turned, the babies began to crawl towards those clusters of sleek colours, those shapes so gay and brilliant on the white pages. From the crawling babies came little squeals of excitement and gurgles and of pleasure. The swiftest crawlers were already at their goal. Small hands reached, touched, grasped, unpetaling the roses, crumpling the illuminated pages of the books. The director waited until all were happily busy. Then, lifting his hand, he gave the signal. The head nurse, who was standing by a switchboard at the other end of the room, pressed a lever. There was a violent explosion. A siren shrieked, shriller and ever shriller. The children started, screamed, their faces distorted with terror. The director waved his hand again, and the head nurse pressed a second lever. The screaming of the babies suddenly changed its tone. There was something desperate about the sharp, spasmodic yelps to which they now gave utterance. Their little bodies twitched and stiffened. Their limbs moved jerkily, as if to the tug of unseen wires. We can electrify that whole strip of floor, bawled the director. But that's enough, he signalled to the nurse. The explosion ceased, the shriek of the siren died. The twitching bodies relaxed, and the sob and yelp of infant maniacs broadened once more into howls of ordinary terror. Offer them the flowers and the books again. The nurses obeyed, but at the approach of the roses, at the mere sight of those gaily-coloured images of pussy and cock-a-doodle-doo and baa black sheep, the infants shrank away in horror. The volume of their howling suddenly increased. The director was triumphant. Books and loud noises, flowers and electric shocks, already linked. After two hundred repetitions, they would be wedded indissolubly. What man has joined, nature is powerless to put asunder. They'll be safe from books and botany all their lives. Take them away again. Still yelling, the khaki babies were loaded and wheeled out, leaving behind them the smell of sour milk and a most welcome silence. One of the students held up his hand. Though he could see quite well why you couldn't have lower-caste people wasting the community's time over books, why go to the trouble of making it psychologically impossible for deltas to like flowers? The DHC explained. A love of nature keeps no factories busy. We condition the masses to hate the country. Simultaneously, we condition them to love country sports, at the same time ensuring that all country sports entail the use of elaborate apparatus. So, they consume manufactured goods as well as transport. 
The student was silent, lost in admiration. One method of conditioning we employ is sleep teaching or hypnopedia. Follow me and on tiptoes, if you please. Fifty yards of tiptoeing brought them to a door, which the director cautiously opened. They stepped over the threshold into the twilight of a shuttered dormitory. Eighty cots stood in a row against the wall. There was a sound of light, regular breathing, and a continuous murmur as of very faint voices remotely whispering. A nurse rose as they entered. "What's the lesson this afternoon?" asked the director. Elementary sex for the first forty minutes. Now it's switched to elementary class consciousness. The director pressed a switch. Let's have it on the loudspeaker. Oh no," said a voice. "I don't want to play with Delta children, and Epsilons are too stupid to read or write. Besides, they wear black, which is such a beastly colour. I'm so glad I'm a Beta. Alpha children wear grey. They work much harder than we do because they're so frightfully clever. I'm really awfully glad I'm a Beta because I don't work so hard." The director pushed the switch. The voice was silent. Only its thin ghost continued to mutter from beneath the eighty pillows.